0: Ready for the windy baby? Sure am. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke, and I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing Chapter 6, Satrap Cosgo.
1: Again, on this trend of telling us exactly what we need to know as a chapter title.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it must be hard to name chapters. You know, like, I know you do it after the fact, after you finish writing them, but it'd be really boring to go back and try to name them all.
1: Yeah, I definitely, I admire the authors who can do cute little, like, mini phrases or whatever that indicate the chapter, but I feel like I'd be more of a Robin Hobb and just straight to the point. <laughs>
0: well, Robin Hobb has done that in the past. Other yeah. books, this book just,
1: <laughs> maybe, she just <laughs> didn't like, maybe she just didn't like this book.
0: <laughs> well, we get introduced to the whiny baby boy of, the, of this trilogy, <laughs> Satrap Cosgo, who we don't know the actual age of i don't think i mean there's probably context clues that we could figure it out from but he's probably around 30 ish i would guess i don't know maybe less
1: it's hard to tell mid-20s when cyrilla and cosgo first meet he's 15 she's 19 and his father's pretty old already
0: she serves under his father for a while though
1: yeah true don't know And it's not, I feel like it has to be, they have to be at an age where she doesn't seem too old yet because he's still interested in her and sent all the other older women away. Yeah. So, I don't know, a dude like this, I feel like her being in her thirties would be too old for him, but maybe not. Maybe it's more the whole thing that they're close in age and it's something his father had that he can't have. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Anyway, We'll talk bored. about that in the chapter, but it starts out immediately him complaining about his headaches, saying, and I'm bored, my headaches, come entertain me. <laughs> <laughs> and then we are also introduced to Cyrilla, the companion of the heart, who we learn again through you know, new character introductions here, another part of the world. It's kind of similar to the beginning of Ship of Magic, where you go through a lot of exposition in their dialogue to learn about this new place, their situations, and where their loyalties and their thoughts lie. So we learn that Cirilla is the companion of the heart to advise on Bingtown issues, and she doesn't think very highly of Satrap Cosgo in her
1: head. Right, which... You can kind of tell right away by the fact that she refuses to amuse him and reminds him that he's there for work, not pleasure.
0: Yeah, because he summoned her to advise on the Bing Town Town situation at the moment. He keeps complaining, saying that my head is throbbing so I can hardly see from the pain. So she's kind of like staring at him, looking at him like, oh my gosh, I... Can't promise that my advice will amuse you. However, if you would care to join me here at the table, I can enlighten you to the facts of the Bingtown Traders dispute. So continuously trying to ignore his invitations or his suggestions of like, amuse me, help me with the pain, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, no, come look at this policy.
1: (laughs) Right. And She does call him young man, and because we haven't gotten to the part where we know the age difference yet, it kind of sets up the situation where we know she's older than him, and this feels like a situation that she's been in before. This isn't a new thing that's happening. This is what she expects of him. And you can really tell that she's looking down on this situation and not happy to be in this situation, but clearly something important is happening in her mind because she is sticking through his whiny prattle of amuse me. I don't want to do work. And she's still trying to get him to work. So she, uh, when she tells him that she is not going to amuse him again, he then tries to sort of get her to do what he wants by telling her that she can leave and he'll, uh, he'll bring in some of the other companions to fulfill his needs And when she doesn't really protest, he changes his mind again and says, never mind, let's talk about what you want to talk about. So there really is this weird dynamic going on in their relationship where even though he is the man of power, there is clearly some power that she is holding and he is trying to play with her. It feels like cat and mouse a lot.
0: Right. And so he... As he says, like, no, I've changed my mind. Well, my advisors tell me that this is an important matter to discuss, so let's go over it. But please, just rub my head for me, Cirilla, just for a short time. I can't think while I'm in such pain. Cirilla arose from the table and put a determinedly pleasant expression on her face. She reminded herself that the Bingtown issue must be resolved. It might even be resolved to her personal advantage. So, right there, we get a little bit of insight again into Cyrilla, and she's trying to push this situation a certain way. We learn later, and as we know, she wants to go to Bingtown. She wants to leave. You sign, And we learn later in this chapter as well, you sign on as a companion of the heart to the satrap, and as long as you have that ring on, you are tied to the satrap, no matter who the satrap is, and you cannot leave the city because you are a companion of the heart. You're supposed to advise the satrap. And the satrap doesn't leave the city. But her angle is trying to get to Bingtown, or at least to leave.
1: Right. And so to do that, she thinks the best way is to sort of give in to some of the whims of right. the satrap Cosgo. Because at least then she gets him on a good, in a good mood. And hopefully that means that he'll give her what she wants. So she does decide to massage his head and... He's complaining about how he must be put under a curse because his head hurts and he can't keep anything in. And he just is overall having a bad time internally. <laughs> and she makes comments that he could exercise and eat better and that would help
0: and get some fresh get, air. Yeah, <laughs> get some
1: fresh air. But he doesn't really want to hear any of that because that's a lot of work. <laughs> But she does She does mention in her head that as she's massaging his head, she can tell from the tension points that there probably is pain in his head. So he's not necessarily wrong about being in pain, and it's not, I don't know, he's not making it up to get close to her, but he's definitely exaggerating in her point of view, I think.
0: Right. And to massage his head, she had sat cross-legged down, and he had come over and put his head in her lap and... Uh, specifically his head on her thigh, and she keeps mentioning that like his hand just kind of like rests there and starts playing under her skirt a little bit, under her skin, and it's just it's not something again that she is used to. Well, she's used to this from Costco, but as her position, this is not what she signed up for. Right. So in her head, she's just going over on and over and over of like. He's a petulant child, like all these descriptors. So we really, really, really know where she stands the first time through this book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's definitely not amused, but she's putting up with it because she wants something out of this. And... Then we get to know a little bit more about Satrap Cosgo. He talks about how one of the reasons he doesn't want to go outside is because last time he went outside, he tripped over the uneven pavement and landed on his knees like a common slave and even had his hands in the dirt. And he hates to be dirty. And Cirilla has to point out that the reason he tripped is because he was intoxicated and the filth that he got his hands into was the throw up, his own sickness (laughs) that he tripped on in the first place and that it's not the outdoors that's bad. It was the intoxication and that maybe if he was sober, it wouldn't be so bad if he went outside. But this doesn't sit well.
0: No, there there are a few times in this chapter where Satrap Cosgo really... Kind of switches the conversation and really reminds you who's actually in power. And Cirilla tries to take it back after this, but he twists his head abruptly to stare up at her and says, That makes it my fault, I suppose, he asked sarcastically. I thought the whole purpose of paving stones was to make the ground even and safe for walking. My poor gut was severely shocked by that fall. It was no wonder I could not keep my food down. Three healers agreed with me about that. But I am sure that my well-educated companion knows far better than the Magnadon satrap Cosgo or his healers. So he really kind of rubs it in like, oh, yeah, but a healer's agree with you. I'm sure you're you know what you're talking about.
1: Right. And I think this really is the theme of this chapter. This whole. Petulant adult child, adult man child, pretending as though. He knows everything. He is smarter than Cirilla. He does not really need her there for her brains. And that's not really her purpose anyway. And this whole fight of I'm important and she won't acknowledge that. Right. She, in fact, whenever he has this reaction, stands up and shoves him off of her and says, fine, I'm leaving. (laughs) I don't have to deal with this. I'm going to go.
0: Cosgo sat up. He clenched his hands on his knees. You forget yourself. No one walks away from the Magnadon satrap Cosgo. Come back. I shall say when you may leave. Cirilla drew herself up to her full height. She was easily a head taller than this pale, self-indulged young man. She looked him up and down, her green eyes flashing. No, you forget yourself, Cosgo. You are not some Chalcedian so-called noble with a harem of whores that scrabble to fondle and mouth you at your whim. You are the satrap of Jamalia. I am a heart companion, not some oiled and perfumed body tool. You say when I may leave, that is true. That does not mean I cannot leave when I find you disgusting. She spoke over her shoulder as she walked toward the door. Send me word when you want to find out just how much trouble you can expect from Bingtown. That is my area of expertise. Find someone else to deal with your crotch. Cyrilla, he protested frantically. You cannot leave me in such pain. You know it is a pain that makes me forget myself. You cannot hold that against me. She halted at the door, her brow creased as she frowned at him. I certainly can, and I do. Your father suffered extreme pain from his joints as he aged, yet he never treated me discourteously, nor did he ever touch me uninvited. "'My father, my father,' Cosgo whined. "'That is all you ever say to me, that I am not as good as he was. "'It makes me sick to think of that shriveled old man touching you. "'How could your parents have given such a young girl to such an old man? "'It's disgusting.' "'She advanced several steps toward him, hands knotted into fists. "'You are disgusting for imagining such things. "'My parents did not give me to your father. "'I came to Jamalia City myself, on my own, determined to pursue my studies.' And so we learn a little bit more of how she came to the city and how she was chosen as a Companion of the Heart. She chose to study in the library. Satrap overheard her and selected her, even though he was older and she was very young, to be a companion and to advise her, or excuse me, advise him on those areas of expertise that she was studying, primarily Bingtown.
1: It also mentions that she waited three days and Waited the decision in her mind before deciding so this wasn't something that was forced upon her it's not like he found her and was like okay now you're my companion it was a mutual decision right and it was her choice to join this and she was not rushed into that either
0: yeah and, and she specifically says to Cosgo go to i guess rub it in a little bit saying You know, it had nothing to do with his couch. He was a fine man. He made it possible for me to study. And he always listened well to me when I counseled him. When he disagreed, he did not blame it on a headache. Her voice fell. I still mourn him. And so she walks out. Right. She notes that two guards are very uh, stone faced. More credit to them. (laughs) Pretending they can't hear anything. And she's walking out and away.
1: Right. And I do want to say that I think this is important. I think this conversation between the two of them is important because it gives first time readers and even some rereaders a little bit more insight into the Jamalian culture and how it's different from Bingtown. I think a really big deal is that a companion of the heart is all women and they are all scholars that are not necessarily bed companions although it seems as though they can be if they so choose but that's not something that is forced on them or something that they have to do to be a companion that is something that they can choose to do later on down the line and I find it really interesting that we have this structure in Jamalia when it's it I mean it just kind of seems so fresh right like the women are allowed to not only be scholars, but be trusted advisors. And yet in Bingtown, women are being relegated to housewives at this point in time. So there's definitely a difference there. But you can see how they stemmed from the same place, I guess, because early Bingtown traders, the women and men were on more equal footing while they were working, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> in, the early, in the early days, they could do whatever jobs it wasn't gender specific and they were struggling to live (laughs) yes (laughs) um so you can see that that like did come from jamalia but perhaps their new found traditions are being more influenced by chalced than they realize and also we have here Cyrilla who is somebody who is holding herself to a higher standard. And I think getting to learn that dynamic too is really important.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's important to her character. Right. As she's walking away, she hears ring out behind her. The Magnadon satrap Costco courteously requests that companion Cyrilla return to his chambers to advise him on the Bingtown matter. She paused, then turned. The expression on her face was studiously polite. It was in her vows. She could not refuse him her company if he asked advice in her area of expertise. Her considered advice was all she had vowed to give him. I would be honored, Magnadon. And she goes back in.
1: Right. I also feel like it's really weird. Magnadon seems to be another title for the satrap.
0: Right. But it's also like said almost like a first name sometimes
1: yeah yeah it's really weird so cosgo is the guy's name satrap is his position so magnadon must be like supreme leader instead of just leader (laughs) i don't really know i don't understand and i don't i think the weirdest part about that to me that like phrasing is that we haven't seen it from the big town traders at all As far as I'm aware, at least not that I have picked up or consciously remembered, but Cirilla calls him Magnadon Sawtrap. So maybe that's just something that like the heart companions, maybe that's how they're supposed to refer to him.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure.
1: I don't really. But yeah, I just found that a little bit funny because we've been saying it a lot. So I wanted to point out it's a little bit of a funny thing that this is the first time we're hearing of it. I don't think we hear it outside of the Cirilla and uh, Cosgo chapters. But either way, we also learn now that in Cyril's position as a heart companion, you cannot refuse to meet with the satrap
0: about their area of expertise for advice. Yes. And so she goes back in, deliberately sits at the table and also spreads out her elbows to keep her own space so he he can't sit directly next to her.
1: But he is sitting as physically close to her as he can without touching her.
0: Yes. And so she goes over the documents in front of her and we hear a little bit more about the situation between Jamelia and Bingtown and the original charter from Jamelia's side.
1: Right. I do want to point out that the last time we heard about the Bingtown situation from the Bingtown side of with people who were there, they had decided to go to the satrap. And yeah. plead their case and get him to fix his mistakes yep. before doing anything rash like seceding from his power or <laughs> trying to become an independent state. So that's where we were last time. And this is kind of the aftermath of this. So a lot of time has passed because they have been able to buy boat, get there and leave at this point.
0: So the first they she goes over a couple of bullet points here and the first one is their complaint about the land grants to the new traders she concludes that they have most definitely violated their original charter and all the new grants are in direct violation of the old agreement you had no authority to issue new land grants to bingtown lands without consulting the traders first that was clearly spelled out in their initial charter he scowled but said nothing she ran her fingertip down the scroll they also protest the new tariffs that have been levied, as well as increases in the old ones, those I think we can justify, though we may have to be more moderate in the percentages. They complain also about the new traders trafficking in slaves and using slaves on their properties. And there is a final complaint about the financing of Chalcedon patrol boats and the stationing of patrol boats in the Banktown Harbor. These are areas in which I think we can negotiate compromises. Of course, Cosco doesn't like the word compromises because he's the satrap. Why do I need to compromise? And she looks him in the eye and basically says, you violated the word of your ancestors. And these people really take that uh, that offense to heart because they are conservative. They're old school. They are traitors at heart. They value their contracts. And that's pretty much their life. What one man says, even if he dies, goes for his ancestors. And the people who came over here are going to be of the strongest opinion if they're the ones who volunteered to complain about it in person. And they had all voyage to just reinforce their own opinions with each other while they were coming over here. So they are definitely our adversaries when they arrived. Still, they might have been mollified on some of their complaints if you had agreed to meet with them personally. She turned back to face the satrap. He looked both grim and sulky. I was ill that week. It was all I could do to meet with the Chalcedian trade delegation. You might also recall that there was some investiture of priests that I had to attend. You spent most of the week in a stupor, sampling the new pleasure drugs the Chalcedians had brought you. Twice you promised me that you would meet with the Bingtown delegation. Each time you kept them waiting for hours before sending word you were indisposed. You left me in a very uncomfortable position. They departed feeling snubbed and ignored. They were more convinced than ever of their own righteousness. She did not add that she agreed with them. It was her task to present the facts to him, not her feelings. At least, that was her present task. She hoped soon to take on more than that if her plans prospered.
1: So we also get to learn here, get a sneak peek, that the satrap, as though we couldn't have told it before, (laughs) from what little we heard, The satrap Cosgo is not very good at his job. He's not a very good ruler, and he is clearly more interested in doing drugs with Chalcedians than he is ruling over his people.
0: Yeah, Regal was a much better ruler, but they are cut from the same cloth.
1: Yes, yeah, there's definitely this sense of bad leadership going on here. I feel like at least with Regal, he could do business and then it was time to party. It seems like sad trap. Cosgo is just all party all the time.
0: Yeah. He was raised spoiled and didn't learn anything from his father.
1: Right. So here he is. And as Cirilla mentions, that kind of makes the situation worse. Like there are things that they could have done to get more out of the deal that are now lost to them because he not only refused to meet them, but pretended like he was going to meet them twice and waited hours after the meeting time to then say he couldn't. So he's really left a bad taste in their mouth and they're going to be way less likely to want to negotiate with him after that kind of snub.
0: And I also want to point out before we move on to the next part that the end of Cirilla in her head there you know, she it's her task to present facts, not her feelings right now, at least right now. But again, her hope is to leave to Bingtown. We find this out later. She wants him to sign a document saying that she can leave. She's going to bring uh, the satrap's words to Bingtown, but it also grants her pretty much any power to speak with his voice in Bingtown. So she wants to preside over Bingtown, basically.
1: Yeah. I think that's really interesting here. And I'm glad that you brought it up because on the one hand, Cirilla does seem like this person who knows what's going on and she's very well informed and she seems to tr- want to try to be fair to the Bing town traders. Like she's still going to try to get money out of them and argue that they can do some of the things that Bangtown traders are mad about, but that's kind of how ruling goes over yeah. That's her territories, job. yeah. So it's not like that surprising. It doesn't make her a bad person, but it is surprising that she is kind of trying to underhandedly take over Bangtown.
0: I don't think it's that surprising. It's just something that appears earlier than I remembered in my last rereads because she's very ambitious and and after she arrives at Bingtown, she tries to take over the whole town and bully her way through everything it just shows up in a more subtle way now now that i know what i'm looking for right so i guess in a way it's surprising that it showed up this early but i I wasn't totally surprised because it's within character for her she is a very ambitious character and wants more
1: yeah i agree but i just i feel like It's interesting to me that she wants to take over a place that she seems to admire and admire them for their tenacity and their ability to not need the help. And then she's like, you know what? That's where I'm going to be the queen of, you know what I mean? Like, I guess not queen, but yeah.
0: I don't know if like her it's hard to tell what her actual goals or motivations are right now because it seems to be. That would be the only way really to go to Bingtown to begin with is a direct order from from the satrap. And you need that like, hey, I'm going to speak with his words if you are going to get that permission to go. Right. Because why else would you go? So it's hard for me to say, like, she wants to rule over it or if she just wants to go to study it more closely and admires them more. I I don't know.
1: I mean, I will point out. Technically, she could go there if she wanted to. She would just have to not be a person in power in any way. She'd just be a regular person. Like, I don't think
0: she can leave.
1: She can take the ring off. She can decide to stop being a heart companion. Oh, yeah, I suppose. You know what I mean? Like, she just would have to be a regular human being then. Yeah. And then she true. wouldn't get any special treatment. She wouldn't get nice things. And I get it. Like, I don't want to pretend like... She would have it easy if she did it that way, or that it was it would be simple. I'm just saying it's interesting that there are choices where she doesn't have to be in the highest position of power. And instead of just being a citizen of Bing Town, she's going for that position of power.
0: Yeah. True. True.
1: But I also get it. Like she's a woman and there's not a ton of opportunity for her <laughs> for jobs um as a scholar, probably, especially not in Bing Town. Yeah.
0: And so Satrap Cosgo doesn't, doesn't really like being reminded of his shortcomings in that week when, when Chalcedians brought all the pleasure drugs and he was lying in a stupor and stood up the Bingtown delegation. So he's sneering and saying, you know, I should do as my friend Duke Yadfin advised me. Put him in place as my appointed governor in Bingtown. Dissolve their silly feuding councils, old traders, new traders. who can keep up with it all. A little Chalcedian discipline would do that rabble good. Cirilla, of course, is gaping at him <laughs> and says, you cannot be serious. And he says, why not? Chalced is a good ally. Bingtown's base slandering of them has been proven groundless. Bingtown is closer to Chalcid than it is to Jamalia. A governor from Chalcid could better regulate the folk there, and as long as I still receive my percentages and tariffs, what harm? All of Bingtown would rise up in rebellion against you. There has already been talk of such a revolt. They would break with Jamalia and govern themselves before they would tolerate a Chalcidian in power over them. Break with Jamalia? They are nothing without Jamalia." Bingtown is a backward trade town, a frontier settlement with no future save trade with my city. They would not dare break with Jamelia. And Cirilla saying, I fear you greatly misjudge the temperament of the folk there.
1: This is really interesting to me. I think number one, it shows that Cirilla really does have a good grasp on the culture and the people of Bingtown. She knows that if he does this, it's the end for the relationship between Bingtown and Jamelia, which is big, I think that proves that she has knowledge, not that we need her proof, like her being in her position is enough it's
0: funny because, yes, yeah, she has that proof, and she does prove herself knowledgeable about the temperament of the folk and the society there, and yet she's so blind to herself when that is applied, yeah, because she goes there as trying to be an authority, and they're rebelling against her, and she's like, "Why are they doing
1: this right, no, definitely it is yeah, definitely her achilles <laughs> her Achilles tendon is. Achilles foot heel. Um, whatever
0: <laughs> the one that you didn't list you yep. know
1: <laughs> her Achilles heel is clearly that she can't see these uh, this advice when it's on herself but we also see how far removed the satrap is from Bingtown and his knowledge of Bingtown He continuously refers to Bingtown as this backwards, backwater place that has no standing without him. And he acts as though there's no way they could survive without his help. And yet he doesn't acknowledge that he takes so much money from them and they make enough to give him that much money. Like they're bankrolling him and they do have a lot of trade that they don't need to go to Jamalia for if they're not contractually obliged to be there first. So yeah, whenever you have made it so that they cannot sell things unless it goes through you first, of course it's going to feel like they need you, but really They've been around long enough to where people know their goods. They're going to definitely be willing to make deals with the Bingtown traders. Right. So not only does he not understand the culture of Bingtown itself, but he clearly doesn't understand how trading works even because he seems to think he is God and they will not prosper if he's not around to rule them.
0: And so Cirilla is... Trying to persuade him that that's a terrible idea and mentions that, you know, for too long, you have left them to fend for themselves. They begin to question why it, they should be taxed for protection improvements they have not received for five years. So he says, oh, I see since my father's death, you mean. So he's been satrap for five years. Mm-hmm. Interesting. OK. You blame the discontent of this rabble on me, do you? She says, no, not entirely. Before your father died, he let things slip as well. In his old age, he wasn't as detail-oriented. But you've just continued with that neglect. All the more reason, then, to put a governor there. You see, by your own logic, my idea is a good one. He sat back, fanning himself contentedly. She was silent until she could speak without shrieking. It is not your idea, Magnadon. It is Duke Yadfin's plan to fleece you while you smile and smoke. "'His pleasure herbs. "'Legally, you cannot appoint a governor for Bingtown, "'let alone one from Chalced. "'That is not the structure of the charter of their founding.' "'Then do away with the stupid charter,' he roared at her. "'Why do I owe them anything? "'They fled to the cursed shores, exiles, criminals, "'and rebellious young lords. "'For years they have lived as they pleased up there, "'enjoying all the benefits of Jamalian citizenship, "'without shouldering the burdens. "'They cede to you fifty percent of their profits, Magnadon.' is a higher rate than any other class of citizens pay. They argue and well that they receive the few benefits and that they have paid for all improvements to their harbors and piracy and that the piracy in the side passage is worse than it has been since yet they resist my efforts to control the pirates. How can I protect them if they will not permit my patrol boats to shelter in their harbor? So it's going back and forth and he's trying to argue and Bringing up okay points for a petulant, (laughs) addle-minded, bad ruler, but she's easily shutting them down and saying, like, this is why.
1: This is the reality, not the made-up thing in your head.
0: Yeah, because, like, yeah, that is a good point to bring. Why are they complaining about piracy if they're also complaining about my patrol boats? And she's like, well, this is one of the compromises that we could do. They propose to fund their own patrol boats. They don't want the Chelseaans there. Let them take their taxes that they pay to fund their own stuff here.
1: And it'll be cheaper if they do it.
0: Yes. And Costco demands: oh, this is so stupid. But would they do a good job at Cerrilla size? It's in their own best best interest to do a good job it's such a stupid question because yes they will do a good job they're the ones protecting themselves from pirates no they're gonna do a bad job
1: yeah i well i want to back up a little bit before we get into this section two just the idea that he can't grasp that oh they're they used to be outlaws and they benefit so much from being under me but they don't though. Like in what way do they benefit being citizens, especially once Cirilla points out that they pay 50% taxes on everything and they had to pay for their own harbors to be redone. So like their taxes don't go to anything that they receive. They don't get anything out of the 50% taxes and they're still paying it. Like, of course they're going to be complaining. You got to do something. There has to be compromise here. It's at a breaking point. And Like you said, he brings up an okay point with the, well, I'm trying to fix the piracy problems, but is he like, he's just giving Chalced more of an excuse to have control over Bingtown. And I think that's the weirdest thing to me that he doesn't, and isn't ever brought up by Cirilla either, that he's not seeing that Chalced is going to control Bingtown if he puts a Chalcedian governor there. He doesn't care as long as he gets the money. Yeah, I guess, but... They're going to stop giving the money eventually. And then what? Right. Like, you already gave it to them. How are you going to get it back? <laughs> so I don't know. It's just like a weird. I don't know why Cyril wouldn't also bring up that point, but maybe she just figures it's, a, it's too a hard lost of a battle. Cause
0: because he loves Chalcedon, right? I guess. Yeah. Why would our great allies and friends do that to me?
1: <laughs> right. I don't know. Chalcet is kind of crazy because they really are trying to put their finger in the pot of every single royal
0: up the coast. It's the smallest land area. Yeah. Of all the kingdoms.
1: But they're going hard for it. True. I guess, little by little.
0: So, she says, basically, they could do this. You know, this would be probably a good compromise and they would appreciate that gesture And he says, oh, very well. I'll see them and agree to that one. But they have to Magdodon Cosgo. It is too late for that. The delegation left here weeks ago. They went back to Bingtown. And then Cosgo's like, well, then why are we worrying about it? It's fine.
1: Yeah, they're not even (laughs) here anyway. Who cares? We don't have to do anything then. Why are we in this meeting, basically? (laughs) And she points out, because you told them that you would send them a reply. Like... (laughs) You already snubbed them. We are trying to keep a civil war from happening. Please do your job. And he's like trying really hard to get out of doing his job.
0: She weighed her chances, decided to risk all. I would like to write up your decisions and take ship to Bingtown. The sooner I carry your decisions to them, the sooner the crisis is resolved. She shuffled papers yet again, aligning them with obsessive tidiness. I have drawn up a doctrine authorizing me to negotiate on your behalf. If you wish, you could simply sign it. I could take ship tomorrow, and you would not be bothered by any more of this discussion. She fought to keep hope from her face and voice. He leaned over the table to look at the document penned in her even hand. Her heartbeat quickened. She longed to nudge the pen and ink toward him, but resisted. That would be too obvious. This says I give my consent for you to make all decisions on my behalf as regards the Bingtown Charter controversy. He sounded outraged. I do not give that sort of power to anyone. Her heart sank. It wasn't going to be as easy as she had hoped, but she would not give up yet. It is true that you have not given anyone that sort of power in the past. Still, just a moment ago, you spoke of appointing a Chalcedon governor. That would be ceding a great deal more power than this. This is but a temporary measure. She took a deep breath. She tried to put concern into her voice. There was a time when your health used to be more robust. I know how these negotiations task you. I see no sense why the entire satrapy should endure the risk to your health. Bingtown is my area of expertise. I should be very happy to serve you in this regard. I feel it is my duty. Your duty? I wonder... Not your opportunity, then? he had always been slyer than he looked. She tried to appear baffled by his words. Magnadon, I have always considered my duty to the satrapy to be, to be my greatest opportunity in life. Now, as you can see, I have left plenty of room at the bottom where we can write in some limitations. A time limit seems called for, for example. She shrugged. I simply saw this as the swiftest, easiest way to solve this you would go to bingtown alone the companions of the heart do not leave the grounds of the palace not ever freedom receded she let nothing show on her face and so she's arguing back and forth here and continues to try to argue for this position by saying like oh yeah i would honor them and they would be honored by a companion of the heart because as you said they never leave but if they did in this case they know that they would be the top of the importance for your satrapy. And they would be honored by that. So I should go.
1: Right. And I think that that is a really good argument for her to make. I think that you can see that she's really trying to cling on to this hope that she can leave. Right. And there is that desperation, that feeling of she needs to get out of here. She does not want to be here anymore. And this is her only chance. I also think that it's really interesting that Satrap Cosgo talks about how he doesn't give that kind of power to anybody after saying that he was going to give that power to a Chalcedon, which, you know, Cyrilla does point out and tries to explain. But the fact that he doesn't see it that way is, I wonder if that stems from the fact that that's a man and this is a woman and a woman under his power no less. Maybe, yeah. And so she, he's like aghast that she would try to have any power of the satrap. That's not her right. Um but we do also learn here that when you are a heart companion, you aren't supposed to leave the city. You aren't supposed to leave the palace, the palace at all. And that's a really big deal. And I think also a big revelation and probably why it was a big shock that such a young person came into the palace because I'm sure everybody knows you're not supposed to leave once you become a companion of the heart. And so she kind of gave up her youth to be an advisor.
0: Well, I think also is that you're a companion for life and the satrap who chose her was old and getting on with years. So people were surprised that he chose another one who was younger.
1: Mm, Maybe. Also a little... Strange that he's he chose a young person who wouldn't have any diplomacy, like, experience. <laughs> she That's was what literally... the satrap
0: is for. She's not diplomacy. She's just knowledge on Bingtown, right? Oh,
1: I guess. Yeah. But she was, like, still studying when he found her. So, like, yeah. it's not even like she was a learned scholar. <laughs> <laughs> she was a student. And he was like, yeah, no, I think you'll do well. <laughs> anyway, off topic for sure.
0: In her head, she's thinking about Bingtown here. And this is kind of when first-time readers truly learn her angle, I guess. You you read like the freedom receded and all that. So yeah, oh, she wants to get out. But then you hear this part. Fabled Bingtown, frontier city of magic and opportunity. The only settlement that had ever survived the cursed shore, let alone prospered there. How she longed to see it for herself. She said nothing of the Rainwild traders and the reputed cities far up in the Rainwild River. They were no more than an elusive legend. To imply that there was treasure he did not even suspect would only incite, excite his greed. She tried to refocus her thoughts.
1: So, question for you. How does she know about the Rainwild traders and their towns? I thought this was a big secret.
0: Yeah, big secret, but... There she has access to all of the the documents and the satrapy, I'm guessing that piecing together, just kind of like elderlings and six duchies, you know?
1: So do you think that means that like in the original agreements the Rainwild traders were more prominent, or that
0: I don't uh, know? No, I feel like that's where they first originally settled, right? So they probably sent back missives like, oh, we settled here this many families and then this many families move to the Bingtown location. And she's like, Oh, that's a lot of people to not move, you know? So, and, and then looked at the economy of the situation, I'm sure. And they sail up the Rainwild river for some reason, you know? <laughs> like, right.
1: So do you think then that that's something that she herself discovered or is this something that the scholars that study Bingtown all know?
0: I feel like she's one of the only scholars that studies Bingtown. And that's probably why she was chosen. But two, she probably pieced together herself, I would guess.
1: So this is, in your opinion, you think this is new information that she thought up? Yeah. Or discovered, I guess, would be better, because it's true. So. <laughs> okay, interesting. I did not think that. I was thinking there must have been some record that, that, like, current old traders are not aware of. I don't know. Like, it wasn't always a secret. And maybe there was some event that made them like, okay, we're going to pretend like they all died. And I don't know. It's a big secret.
0: Yeah. No idea. Could be possible. But it's just in my mind, it is far more likely that she pieced this together based on different things than this being a known piece of information and it being forgotten. Okay. So, either way, Cyrilla thinks that she has this information solely, and Satrap Cosgo doesn't know anything about this. So she's trying to keep some stuff back, and she wants to see Bingtown, this fabled city and the center of her studies for so long. And she says, Before your father died, he promised me that someday I would see that city for myself. This is also an opportunity for you to keep that promise. As soon as she uttered the words, she knew they were a mistake. He said he would let you go to Bingtown. Preposterous. Why would he promise you such a thing? His eyes narrowed with sudden suspicion. Or is that what you demanded in return for your favors? Did my father ever lie with you? A year ago, when he had first dared ask her that question, it had shocked her into silence. He had asked it so often since that then that the silence was reflex now. It was the only true power she had over him. He didn't know. He didn't know if his father had had what she refused him, and it gnawed at him. And then she recalls the first time she had ever seen him. He was 15 and she was 19. She was very young to be a heart companion. It was surprising that such an elderly satrap would even take a new companion. When she had been presented to Cosco as his father's new advisor, the young man had looked from her to his father and back again. His glance had spoken his thoughts plainly. She had blushed, and the satrap had slapped his son for his insolent gaze. Young Cosgo had taken that to mean that his base suspicions were true. When his father died, Cosco had dismissed all his father's heart companions. Ignoring all tradition, he had sent them off without the mercy of shelter and sustenance for their declining years. Most had been elderly women. Cirilla alone, he retained. She would have left then if she could have. As long as she wore a satrap's ring, she was bound to the satrap's side, and Cosgo was satrap now. And his new, she explains that his new heart companions are not one for different areas of expertise, but they have more knowledge of the flesh. And not one of them refused him, so she alone is kind of maintaining that power over him. And she explains a little bit more of the history of the heart, the companions of the heart. They're not traditionally a harem. They were supposed to be women with no other loyalties than to the satrapy. They were supposed to be what Silbrillo was, blunt, outspoken, and ethically uncompromising. They were the satraps conscious. They were supposed to be demanding, not comforting. And so she's kind of reflecting on... The relationship between Costco and her now, and what it used to be. And she thinks that if she ever gave in to Satrap Costco, she would lose all power over him. As long as she represented a possession of his father's that he could not claim, he would want her. He would pretend to listen to her and occasionally actually follow her advice in an attempt to please her. It was the last vestige of power left to her. She hoped she could use it as a lever to gain her freedom. So she regarded him in silence and waited.
1: So that's a lot of stuff, so I'm going to go back to the beginning um, to talk about a few points. First and foremost, that Satrap, Cosgo, and Sorilla met when they were... 19 and 15, Cosco being 15, which means there's only four years of difference between them. And she keeps calling him a young man. There's lots of reference to him being a young man and he's young and a baby or whatever, but he's not that much younger than her really. So that's a really interesting choice for her to separate them in that way.
0: Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, maybe like 25 and 30 or 26 and 30 or whatever, you know? Right. And
1: I mean, don't get me wrong people four years younger than me do seem younger than me. And I guess right now I'm not, I'm only in my mid twenties. So people four years younger than me are babies. But I feel like if I was in my <laughs> mid thirties and somebody was in their early thirties, I'm not going to be like, Oh, what a child. I mean, it's based on his
0: maturity too, right? Like uh, yeah, he just definitely. indulges in drugs all day and doesn't do anything. Doesn't care about any knowledge or ruling his country.
1: That's fair. But either way, there is not as big of an age gap as it sort of seemed at the beginning and we learn about the importance of her role as a heart companion and that it is to be someone who is not a pushover who's there to give in to the carnal desires of the satrap it is more about being the brains of the operation she's supposed to be his conscience and tell him What to do in certain situations, and especially under her expertise, which in this case is Bing Town, and why she has such a strong personality. Because that is her job. She is supposed to push back and not supposed to just be a yes man. She is her own person with her own feelings.
0: And so she tries to wield her last vestige of power, the unknown. Cosco is obviously trying, not even trying anymore. He, he lives in the shadow of his father, who is apparently a decent satrap in all regards, and is basically doing the opposite of him. And any time anybody brings up his father, specifically in this situation, Cirilla, he needs to overshadow his father once again. And that knowledge of whether Cirilla and his father lied together haunts him apparently. And because he's, he kept around Cirilla, the only heart companion to keep around. And she uses that knowledge. She uses that lack of knowledge, I guess, and is trying to earn her freedom through that way.
1: Right. And speaking of her freedom, I also want to point out that line that says, as long as she wore a satrap's ring, she was bound to his side And that if she could have left, she would have. That's so contradictory to me because... Same. If it's just the ring that marks you as a heart companion, could you not take off the ring and no longer be a heart companion? Is the reason that she felt she had to stay because there is no place for a woman scholar in Jamalia anymore? Like, what...
0: Is it some sort of tradition where, like, since you pledge your loyalty to the satrapy, if you take off the ring, you're claiming that you're a traitor and it's, like, death penalty or something?
1: Yeah, I I wish that part was explained more because otherwise it just sounds like it absolutely is a choice that she's making and it's just to keep on that ring, which doesn't make sense. I, I mean, like, I applaud the effort of staying in a place that you know is about to get toxic to try to counter that and give a breath of good intentions. I think that's important to do, but I don't understand the feeling of it's the only choice when we're not really given any description of what would happen if she chose not to do that.
0: Right. Well, her silence does gnaw at him and Satrap Cosgo does give in. "'Oh, very well,' he suddenly exclaimed in disgust. "'I will take you to Bingtown, then, if it means so much to you.' She teetered between elation and dismay. "'You'll let me go, then?' she asked breathlessly. A tiny frown creased his brow, then he smiled at her. "'No, that is not what I said. I said I'd take you there. You can accompany me when I go.' Also, I just want to note that it says that he had a tiny, thin mustache that twitched just like a cat's whiskers. Gross a little pencil mustache.
1: <laughs> you know, it, he's trying to grow a mustache. He is y- uh, but a young boy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and she says that, you know, for two generations, no ruling satrap has left Jamelia City. And he throws back in her face, but it's as you said, they'll be all the more honored when I show up for this, these negotiations. Besides, it's on my way to Chelsea. I had been invited there numerous times. I had already decided to go. You shall accompany me there after we have settled the rebellious rabble in Bingtown. His smile widened. There is much you can learn in Chalcid. I think it will be good for both of us. Which ends on a very gross note. Just in his mind.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Robin Hobb's really good at writing those slimy characters.
0: Oh, yeah the pathetic slimy characters. But now we have the next setup in our plot. So they were snubbed. Bingtown is going to go back and stew in their own dismay. They're going to have the Chelsea and patrol boats there. And it's, they're going to be there for months while the satrap and Cirilla head over.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some rising tensions. Definitely a little too late. From Satrap Cosgo's point of view, I guess. Or side from his yeah. side, it's a little too late. But he clearly thinks this is a good idea. And I I don't even know. He probably would have just gone to Chelsea otherwise and skipped past them, which would have been way worse. <laughs> but at least I guess he's stopping in Bingtown now. Yeah. And he never makes it to Chelsea. True.
0: Well, if you have any thoughts about that chapter, please let us know. Because we had an introduction to two new characters, Cirilla and Cosgo. Let us know your thoughts on the characters, how they evolve, what you think about the introduction to them, and Cirilla's ambitions. Slash, does she just want to leave? Or is she just excited about the scholarship opportunities in Bingtown? You can email us at, isfitshappy at gmail.com, Or you can message us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're also on threads now. And we post these episodes on YouTube, so you can DM us, comment on any of our posts. Please just let us know what you're thinking.
1: See you guys next week. Okay, so now we're going to talk about some stuff that you guys have brought to our attention. Uh, There's kind of a lot to catch up on because (laughs) we have a backlog from all the traveling we just did and weren't able to record with questions or things sent in from you guys. So bear with us. <laughs> first, we have a couple of things that we wanted to bring up that ba- Bastion brought to our attention from episode 154 on Facebook. Uh, the first thing that we're going to talk about is such an exciting idea that I'm really happy to have this. It's now canon in my mind. Um, but Bastion puts forward the idea that the reason magic sort of s- seems to fade in places like the rain wilds, in
0: certain cities, in certain
1: cities, Elderling cities, like in the rain wilds. And it doesn't in other cities like Kelsingra. could potentially be because of the change in, uh, like
0: physical state yeah, of the city.
1: Yeah. So essentially the rain wild traders are, taking artifacts from the city. They are taking apart the city little by little.
0: And the city's slowly collapsing and sinking underground.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so that damage, it's the, the city is being held together by a magic that knows what the city looks like. And by taking away parts of the city and taking away that part of the image, it's no longer able to facilitate the whole picture because too much of the picture is gone. Essentially is what Bastion Proposes.
0: Yeah. So there's another example for as Love Y'all, for example, when Fitz First gets there, gets there, it's fairly intact. And we learn later that Prilkop, you know, deactivated some of the elderling magic that kept it warm, things like that. But then there's the whole fight, there's the uh ice-fired kind of destroying the hall. There's a bunch of stuff like that. And even after Procop reactivates the magic, Fitz goes back later and he notes that there's some algae and there's just some... Things are starting to deteriorate a little bit. And I'm sure Chade has been plucking out scrolls from it and things like that. Even though that's not technically really removing stuff of the city, that could also attribute to this situation. So... That memory of the city is kind of destroyed. It's not as it once was.
1: Right. And it's too heavily damaged to repair.
0: The only thing that I really, it makes me doubt this because I like it as well is Kelsingra has a huge chasm in the middle of it from this earthquake. <laughs> and along the chasm, we don't note that any of any of the magic is failing or anything like that. And I guess it could be such a huge city that that is kind of minor in the image of itself or the memory of that city. But it's a huge rent in the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I would. I would argue that that's where silver comes through.
0: So it's stronger. There. So the
1: magic is just stronger in general. Okay. And that. it isn't a huge chunk of the city. It's just a big lake. Right. Like there's still. It's maybe a full neighborhood gone, but there's still like 80 more neighborhoods. So okay, yeah, I can see that. In that scheme, I feel like it's not as much damage because nobody's pilfering it. Yeah. So it's just that. I don't know. But either way, I like the idea. It's mm-hmm. forever canon in my mind, and I love it so much. So thank you for that. Also, Bastion talks a little bit about the language problem that we discussed. So in episode 154, we were wondering what language is being talked in Bingtown because they seem to be able to communicate with everybody. Yeah. And that doesn't and really Jamalia make sense.
0: And too, we didn't really know.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't really make sense because we know that Chalcedians speak a specific language. Bing uh the mountain people speak a language and
0: Out Islanders speak a their own language.
1: Yeah. And then also the Duchies, Buckkeep, they yep. all speak a different language as well. So what language are they speaking? And how are they able to communicate and Bastion ventures forward the idea that there's probably a common tongue that um, is called uni, which is something that apparently B tries to speak in the later books whenever she is abandoned in Chalced um, because she cannot communicate with a Chalcedian. She doesn't know Chalcedian. So there is a common tongue talked about in that yeah. chapter.
0: So it makes sense that Bingtown speaks it. It's probably six duchies as well, I would guess, because Fool has no problem moving between Jamalia, Bingtown, six duchies. So it's probably a common tongue spoken in Jamalia and Bingtown and six duchies and all the other ones have kind of their own language.
1: Right. And Cookie Baker does make a comment to that point of the fact that the Bingtown people are basically just a big trading port that so, it's yeah. way more it makes way more sense that they would speak a common tongue especially because it's a lot of sailors coming in and out all the time that's like go to other places so they probably do just speak that common uni or uni whatever
0: <laughs> yeah for like uniform language or whatever yeah thanks so much for those points it sounds great i like that those ideas and then we had a quick email about episode 155 from jonas just kind of commenting again on our talk about the carcasses or what was inside. This is the discussion between Rain and his mother Janie about what's inside a wizardwood log and what they actually are and the things that they roll out as they cut them up. And the reference to Rain actually seeing the insides of that confused us quite a bit, as it confused Jonas as well. And he puts forth a couple other options that Similar to the ones that we discussed, and we still really can't come to a conclusion. Do they prep the logs ahead of time? But then does it really make sense that Tintaglia's a log that's intact and not prepped? Did Rain happen to like want to fix a roof? <laughs> and they needed wizardwood plagues for that, you know? Like it's not really clear, and it's something that I don't know if we're ever gonna get a clear answer on. I think I still stick with the fact that either one they're they have collected those or saved those somewhere because why would you throw out potentially valuable things or two, it's just kind of known in their family and kind of whispered about.
1: Mm. Yeah. I'm not really sure how to justify what happens, but I do like the idea that Jonas puts forward that, there are logs just that they have like processed
0: planks ready to go. I I
1: like that as a theory, but again, the whole question of then why is there one left? Why wouldn't they just do the rest of them? But maybe it was, yeah, maybe they wanted one left to potentially sell at a way higher value. Who knows? Yeah.
0: Maybe something that we might not know,
1: (laughs) but thank you for agreeing with us and giving us new points of view to look at. (laughs) Yeah. Next, we're going to talk about some things that we heard from people on episode 156. Uh, first of all, both listeners, Amy and Anne, put forward that the pressure point that Wintrow holds on Kenneth's hand with a strange, strong grip is something that is part of acupuncture and is known to help with migraines and lessen headache pain.
0: And pain in general,
1: yeah. So funny that that is a real acupuncture point. And Anne let us know that there is a specific device that you can buy for migraines that basically just pinches that acupuncture point on the palm. And that's pretty cool. Interesting that it's a real pla- a real thing that Hob added in there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I will uh, segue that in to say that Anne then goes on to uh, say that it makes her think that By using that actual acupuncture sign, it shows that the monks, um, Saw's monks have more of a scientific approach to healing and that it's just amplified by also using magic. So they're like super, uh, super healers because they're using the scientific uh, background, especially when we see that they use like psychology hacks of calming yourself down and saying that fear is something you can control. And then also acupuncture and...
0: and breathing exercises things yeah. like that.
1: So that's a really good point.
0: And that we've only seen Wintro and not a trained healer. Yeah. The results that he can manage, however, are stunning to me. In Wintro's case, he might be drawing on Vivacious Magic, of course. She might be a bridge between Wintro and Kenneth, seeing how attentive she is to the pirate. And that's also kind of a point, like, yes, he is miraculous, so maybe the what the healers of Saw can do are even more incredible using science-based with their skill. Right. But Wintrow is aided by Vivatia, who is trying her best to get close to Kennet as well. So it's kind of a back and forth. Are they miracle workers, or is this a special case? And they're really good, but Wintrow is doing way more than he should because of a live ship aiding him.
1: Yeah, there's definitely more magic in this than there would be in a regular sort of situation. Um, So that's a very good point and something to think about further. Anne also brings up the point that she's wondering if Vivacia heard Kenneth talking about wanting to kill everyone on the ship. Because if she did... How does she still like him? Like, is she justifying it that he was just delirious and in pain?
0: Was she not paying attention? But that doesn't make sense because she's trying her hardest to kind of stay close to him.
1: Right. And right after that, she's trying to get into his mind. And maybe she just can't see it yet. We're not sure. So it's a very good question. Luke, do you have any thoughts?
0: No, I feel like it's something that, like what Anne said, she might just attribute to delirium from his pain and the surgery, things like that. Because at this point, it was upcoming, right? It was him saying to, while Wintro was in the room, I should just kill them all because I fell. Take off my leg now, whatever. So I think this was right before his surgery. Okay. So I I feel like she's just going to attribute that to the pain from delirium
1: interesting i think she doesn't care um and this this is possible hot take my personal tinfoil hat um vivatia continuously has little moments of this weird streak where she kind of seems like she's chill with murder yeah Yeah. (laughs) like she's like down to murder if it's somebody she doesn't like and so i don't necessarily know that Kenneth being like oh, these people that saw me weak have to die is something that would be a red flag for her. I don't necessarily even know if she would be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't like that about him or if that would be more <laughs> appealing because that is part of the side of her that she's probably more embarrassed about. And I think Wintrow especially- More dragon side. Yeah, Wintrow especially isn't going to agree with that side. And so having Kennet say that out loud, is kind of more like- oh, he gets me, you know? <laughs> like,
0: maybe, maybe. So
1: maybe that's my hot take, but who knows? <laughs> so thank you, Anne, for bringing that to our attention.
0: We had some other comments on episode 156 as well. And one was Jonas kind of answering the question that Emma posed on this episode discussion saying, what would have happened to Wintro and vivacious's relationship if Kenneth was healthy when he came on board? Jonas thinks... it. Might not have been that different, actually. Kenneth would have tried to keep Wintrow and Vivacia a bit more separated, I think. And I think it would have been a lot worse for Wintrow and Etta's relationship in the long term. What were you thinking when you posed it?
1: I think that there is a higher chance that Wintrow would be dead or more seriously injured. Not because I think he would have stormed at Kenneth and Kenneth would have been able to counter that. I think because since there wasn't that intimate eye contact making Kenneth view um Wintro as just like him when he was that age, I think he would have seen him more as somebody like Sorcor, where it's just an idiot that he has to dispose of eventually. Well, yeah,
0: somebody he has to control yeah. for a while because yes. he's the link to the live ship.
1: And I think he would have used the control in the form of punish like physical punishment more. And I don't think there would be that like close relationship there.
0: And it's interesting that Jonas brings up the relationship between Edda and Wintro because the surgery and Kenneth's injury creates kind of both sides in enmity and like the healing of the relationship or the bringing them closer together because Etta hates that. Kennett is injured and has to have Wintrow, this boy, do surgery on him, right? Doesn't understand why Wintrow is the one that Kennet chose. Right. Why he dismissed other healers, but this 14-year-old boy can do it. So kind of resents that and how Kennet immediately latched on to Wintrow. But also Wintrow doing it successfully does bring them a little closer together. So it kind of put a wedge between them and drove them closer together. So if... Ken it was healthy to begin with. Would there be that animosity in between them to begin with? I don't think so, but I also don't think there would be any driving force to push them together.
1: True. So I maybe
0: don't. Jonas is right.
1: Yeah. Maybe they just wouldn't have cared or she wouldn't have cared about him.
0: Yeah, probably not.
1: I think he would still have a little bit of a crush on her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, probably Who wouldn't
1: to be honest, <laughs> but thank you Jonas for bringing those points forward.
0: And lastly, we have a comment from Bastion on this episode as well. This episode, we were also talking about Chalcedians and how we don't really get many points of view from them at all. And Bastion brings up that it would be very nice to have a point of view from a quote-unquote nice Chalcedian. Because we do get Alec and uh, Antonicus, which is the Duke. to different... Oh no, it must be Antonicus Yadvin, right? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, we get one from the Duke, I guess, later on, and Elik, obviously, we get a point of view from, but they're also terrible human beings. Bastion says, I wish it would have been a bit more nuanced. For instance, during the Rainwilds, I really wanted to feel pity for the Chalcidian merchants forced to obtain dragon parts. They turned out to be scum too when they contemplated chopping up Malta into pieces and presenting her as dragon meat. So like there's just not that nuance take on Chalcedon's really until the Rainwild chronicles with Selden and the daughter and it's only the Duke's daughter. Yeah. That is like somewhat good, you know, and Bastion also brings up Kerf. Uh, who could have been a good guy, but due to Vindillier's mind control, he never really gets the chance to redeem Chalcedians and do something selfless. But I don't think Kerf was that good of a guy either. I mean, Mm. yes, he was pretty much indoctrinated from a child growing up in Chalcedian culture, but due to that upbringing, he turned out to be not that great of a guy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely not a whole lot of wiggle room when it comes to Chalcedians.
0: It just feels like... Slytherins all over again. Like all <laughs> Slytherins are bad, you know? There
1: can't be a good Slytherin. There can't yeah. be a good Chalcedian. And I mean, to be fair, maybe this comes from a place of, we don't really ever see a common Chalcedian person, right? We only ever see people with like important jobs yeah. or in higher up positions. And of course those cu- people. We
0: see a couple of villagers, I think during B's point of view, but no interaction.
1: Right. And they don't really speak the same language. So but I think to that point, that could be why they're so horrible, because even if they were better people, they're not going to outwardly show that or else that kind of weakens their position of power, right? Like
0: Yeah. And that's what Cookie Baker kind of says in reply yeah. to that, that when you have to survive in a society, you become ruthless. And if you try to be moral, you're just going to get crushed and other people are going to be in power over you.
1: Yeah. So I do think there is still a chance that there are Chalcedians who are not awful, but I think we would have to get a book written from Chalcedians' point of views in Chalced for us to be able to find that out for sure.
0: (laughs) Right. So thanks for those thoughts. Very interesting kind of look into Chalced and maybe a lack of nuance that Robin Hobb hasn't put in yet. Maybe saving for future books. Who knows? maybe it'll be like the out islanders and the <laughs> next trilogy will be about marrying into the chalcedian royal family or something <laughs> maybe All right then we kind of move on to 157 we got a couple comments about this one as well one of them from cookie baker this is when they had the surgery on deck and we were discussing why ada picked some of the people she did to hold down kennet and Cookie Baker thinks that it might be to create loyalty of her own. A lot of people are either you know loyal to Sadar or to Kennet. And her choosing some former slaves makes them switch loyalties over to her. Which I don't know if I fully agree with. Because she's so loyal to Kennet himself. I-, I can agree with the shifting loyalties argument, but I don't think it would be to shift the slaves' loyalties over to her. I think it would be, let's create a sense of responsibility in these freed map face slaves and switch the loyalties over to the person that they're saving, i.e. Kennet. Right. That would be my thought, but it is a very good, um, good information to keep in mind and a good angle to take.
1: Yeah, and I don't necessarily think that it's, that crazy that she could be doing it for her own personal gain. I think she's smart and she knows that things are precarious right now. But I think that's more of like, if Kenneth isn't around, then at least I have these guys to back me up. Right. Less of a, I need to hold my own against Kenneth sort of deal. So I'm not sure. But I like the thought process behind it.
0: Yeah. We also had an email from Keith on episode 157 about the skill. So this one is kind of equating what we've talked about before, equating the skill or magic use to drug use. And this is something that Robin Hobb has kind of talked about, not maybe in specifics, but just saying she started out with what if magic was addictive, right? And it had bad consequences, and Keith is kind of talking about the differences between the priests of Sa and the men, basically all men <laughs> of the six duchies.
1: Yeah. The Farseer men at least. Yeah.
0: The Farseer men of how they access skill and the effects that we see on them. And Keith is trying to draw in some uh, drug use metaphors about how this works, how the, priests of saw are trained a bit better they know their limits and they know exactly how to use the skill so they don't experience the same kind of overwhelming senses that we see in the first trilogy when fitz accesses the skill that increased euphoria that intense like i'm gonna lose myself and i just want to throw myself into this of course From his point of view, that could also be Galen's skilled, like, kill yourself or die command. And it could also be just Fitz's depression being like, this is much better than life. (laughs) So he has to steal from himself from that. But from the priest's point of view, it's pretty just like, we're connected to everything. This is great, but we can also just turn it on and off whenever we want. We just have to meditate. And Keith kind of talks about how the farcier men are more so just kind of thrown to the deep end. He, he likens it to inserting drugs directly, like shooting up drugs directly into your veins instead of, you know, doing it in some other way. How it's just much more intense and dangerous and they're not trained at all. They don't know what they're doing and it's just kind of thrown into the deep end
1: yeah whereas the priests are more like doing party drugs and do party drugs pretty like occasionally so it's not
0: and now keith in this email is saying like yeah i don't really know how drugs work i'm just doing this based off hollywood movie magic same here man like this is all from like (laughs) wolf of wall street basically Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh if we go off of other media forms that we all have probably ingested yeah. it does kind of feel the same as like somebody who's maybe more like fits and his family is more like euphoria characters and <laughs> and yeah, I, everybody uh, else is more like wolf of wall street <laughs> i was
0: gonna say train spotting for <laughs> <Fitzson>. <laughs> Or that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah so definitely
1: so. an interesting way to look at it and i really do like The idea of all the priests being the party bros. So thank you for that imagery.
0: (laughs) True. it's, It's very interesting to think about that because, I mean, we have decided that they are using the skill. They don't spell that out, but there are some differences and that kind of helps explain a little bit of those differences.
1: Yeah, definitely. So thank you to everyone who wrote in. We really appreciate all your guys' hot takes and all your thoughts. And it's always fun to get the new ideas and see what you guys are thinking. And we hope to stay more on top of it (laughs) so we don't have four episodes worth of comments to comment on next time. But thank you guys for reaching out. And also note for any of our people who only follow us on Facebook, I'm really sorry about the episodes not posting super well. I'm not really sure what's going on in there. We we keep getting marked as spam and I'm trying to fight it with Facebook. We're trying to make it work. Um, so the posts are going to look a little weird for the next couple of weeks, but we're still posting there. <laughs> so, so thank you guys for your patience and thank you guys for writing in. We really appreciate hearing from you all.